Y'all just sit wherever you're comfortable, grab your microphone. Uh, As we were preparing for this, you said you've been married 14 years? 14 years. What year was that, 2002? It'll be 14 in May. May of 2003. I I came here in November of 2003. So I've been with you almost the whole time of the marriage. See, and I've seen these two grow in, uh, in that relationship as they've gone from newlyweds to now parents and uh, leaders in their own right. And, and some of you uh, know what? There's people out here who know you since, since you were born and first came here, right? So, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Miss Martha uh, was my fourth grade teacher. There you go. <laughs> And then you've been around even, what, you, you show up, did you come in on the marriage plan? Yeah, I, yeah okay. I brought him in. Okay, yeah. okay. It's but her you, fault. You probably, you've got folks that you've known from, you grew up here in Fort Smith. Correct. Yes. See, and, and this is what I want you to, to see here because I'm, I'm starting to see stuff like this. These are our children. Uh, these are our children who have now become adults. Uh, they're your peers. They're your brothers and sisters. And you see the next generation and you see what God is doing. And... Um, it's not that one generation is just giving up and then the next generation is taking over. It's the same thing that happens to all of us, is that when we're young, people entrust us with, uh, with God's work, and there's another generation that was working in Guyana uh, when they were children, and now you see them working there as well. So I want you to take this encouragement from this. But um, let's see, I think we get started with your trip and how your journey began, and we've got this wonderful map here that shows us Fort Smith to Georgetown, Guyana. Uh, Kim, is this your part of the story that you want to tell us about this journey? Well, we were going to start with West Ark's connection and why we chose to go to Guyana out of all the places uh, we could have gone to. Um, From 91 to 2010, Dr. Cole led medical mission trips to Guyana and those archives are online, and it's wonderful to go back and read about the trips. And I learned that 159 members ended up serving there, whether they were doctors or dentists or VBS leaders or preachers or teachers. Um, so many people served, and it was amazing to see how many people got involved with all the medical missions from those years. Can we flip? So this is Noreen, Noreen, I'm sorry, Noreen. We were corrected on how to say his name, and I still can't get it. <laughs> Noreen and his wife, Chiney. Um, Dr. Cole, uh, one of their teams in 94, at a medical clinic at the Lenora Church of Christ. Uh, they met him there. And after um, talking with the local Christians there, they chose Noreen as... Um, the person who they thought would do well at being a preacher. And so West Ark fully funded him and his Bible training at a Bible training school in Georgetown. And then in 97, he established the Church of Christ in Sophia, which is where we went. Okay, so now you're, you never were able to go on any of these Guyana medical mission trips, right? You Correct. Were, you were a little kid and... And well, you just didn't have the, the chance. Time, right, never worked out. You just never, never worked out. You never got that opportunity. But then how do you first find out about Narain, and how do you first hear about what he's doing in Sophia? How does that come about? Um, Josh and I, you well, want for the last the five years, uh, I've been a, an active member on the, on the missions committee, and so I've heard about Narain 
Noraine a uh, hundred times. And uh, I've heard about all the trips to Guyana several times. But uh, since we had never, you know, I, I'd never really had interest outside of that until this, this year's contribution, um, Kim reaches out to all of our missionaries, all the places that we uh, help fund, and we she does postcards and things like that. And so that's how she um, yeah, got hooked let me, back in. Let me Grant. throw in something here. So, you know, in the, um, in the past, we've done Missions Month. You know that October turns out to be Missions Month, and we get all of this input. You get all of this wonderful information about these different uh, mission points that we're involved in. Kim makes the majority of those. She's the one that puts this together. That's her contribution to the missions committee and what she does. But, by the way, this year, we're, we're not having a missions month. It's kind of going on all year, and I know that's a transition, but you'll see this booth out here that will highlight one of our different mission points. Pay attention to that each month and see what's, what's happening there. But it's in gathering the information for that that you reach out to Narain, correct? Yes. Okay, now tell me how, that's what how happens That's how I first made contact with him is that I sent him a message saying, hey, we need all your updates for our postcards, and um, he is very thorough. Most missionaries shoot me a little paragraph and say, okay, is this good? Will that work? He sends me pages and pages and statistics, and here are our plans for the next 9, 12 months, and he's very thorough, and I was always so impressed by that and his organization that I was just intrigued by him and his work. Um, Prior to that, last year, Josh and I had really been seeking direction from God. We'd spent a lot of time in prayer for guidance on how we can serve more and where we're supposed to serve and what exactly we're supposed to do. We've been involved in a lot of local missions on and off over the past several years, but we really are seeking our spot and where to serve. And once I read... um, and Narain's proposal for his future plans about a possible church plant in a village called Kuru Kururu, it really touched my heart reading about that. And I just got, I felt the spirit, and I thought, oh, I need to be involved in this, and I need to find out more about this. And so I was so excited to go and meet him and learn about this possible church plant, and Josh felt differently. (laughs) I I was uh, like three to four weeks from going to Asia so I was just like, yeah, if, if this is what you're feeling called to do, then, then we'll do it. But it was really hard for me to, to jump, you know, fully into uh, Guyana whenever I was all wrapped up and trying to get my business ready to go for Asia. But um, at the same time, I could see that she was extremely passionate about going. So I, I tried to encourage that as much as possible. Now, as I understand it, when you... So this developing story, uh, you're, you're starting to take an interest in, I mean, you're fascinated by what Narain's doing, by what we've done there, how this has set this up. Okay, and then you're coming back from your, from your Asia trip, you're getting ready. This is, this is February that we did the Guyana trip, or is this? Yeah, okay, we went February. February, and Narain already has a schedule of work for you to do, correct? <laughs> He's, After I contacted him and told him, hey, I think my husband and I are going to get to come visit you. Nobody's been to see you since 2009, I believe. Um, we were officially Facebook friends, and he was video chatting me like every day. He was so <laughs> excited to have a contact here, somebody that was 
interested in him and wanting to come see him. He had a work plan, a whole page long, we're going to do this hourly and <laughs> daily, sent to me within a couple of days, and um, that's what we did. So this is no vacation. He's got this. That, that's what you always <laughs> hear when Rick O'Dell takes you. This isn't a vacation, you know, so, so they're getting the full treatment. Noreen's got this down. He's got an agenda, and we're going to go through the four main points of that agenda, correct? Number one of that's which fixed. is... His 2017 theme is Strong Family, Strong Church. And one of his main programs is his children's ministry. He has 128 children enrolled in his kids' program, ages 2 to 14. And so one of our first days there, we were able to be a part of sharing the gospel with 125 children, which was one of our very favorite parts. This is just a little clip so you could hear their beautiful singing. If we can push play on that one. Always and again I say rejoice, and the time to be happy is now right now, and the place to be happy is here right now, and the way to be happy is to make others happy, and to have a little heaven down here, and the time to be happy is now right now, and the place to be happy is here right now, and the way as you can see the the energy of the kids is pretty universal doesn't matter if you're here or, or anywhere in the world they they get pretty into their singing so outside of their church building they have what we call a breezeway and all their classrooms from the kids ages 2 to 14 are held outdoors simultaneously. They're just kind of broken up into different areas. Um, yeah, the first picture was the largest group, the 5 through 8 year olds that Noreen and his wife teach. And this class, I thought this was interesting because it was so loud in there that she had to go behind the building with her class to try to find a little spot to read the Bible where they could hear each other read. Now, who's that teaching the children out here in the breezeway? Sister Abigail. Sister Abigail. Okay, mm-hmm. so this is, the, this is the Sophia congregation. It is, yes. Okay, and this is the one that I guess it was uh, 15 years ago or more that Noreen went to be the leader of that congregation yes. and build it, build it as a plant. Yes, okay. and like I said, he's grown it, the program, the 128 kids, he does VBS, Lads to Leaders, Operation Shoebox, and then Bible classes on Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, and Wednesday night. There are 128 kids. Yes. Okay, and this started in what year? Michael, 97 was when he helped establish the church in Sophia. Okay, 20 years ago, and now they're, they're thriving in this way. Okay. Uh, now, that was point one, was the children's ministry. You were going down there, and Noreen had it on the agenda, work with the children's ministry. Yeah. Do you, want to talk, do you want to talk about the gospel, telling the gospel story here? Oh, yeah. Okay, so during our uh, shoebox giveaway, which is really neat also because the kids at Union do a shoebox every year to prepare to, sh- to send off to they don't know where. And so we were on the opposite end of that. We were in Guyana, and we were actually handing those shoeboxes that these other kids had filled in the States to these kids. So that was a... A really neat experience. Um, 
But one of the things that uh, Narain asked us to do while we were doing these uh, shoebox giveaways was he asked Kim and I to present the gospel to these children. And I had never done it before in a, in a setting to where I was just going to tell the story, tell the gospel story. And so Kim and I put a lot of time into how we were going to do this. Uh, we had about 45 minutes, and we were just going to tell the story from creation through Jesus, through to us, to uh, go tell it on the mountain. So from creation to us going and telling it on the mountain. And it was a very humbling experience. Um, we failed miserably. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we had the story. Uh, sitting in front of us, but what we found is there are so many opportunities to get caught up in the details and to get and just to start chasing rabbits um, all over the place. And also, we figured out that some of the things that uh, we 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 tried to build lessons in, and we're sitting there talking to children from two to fifteen and their parents. And so whenever we started uh, trying to get into these lessons, we're like, ah, this isn't really going to work for a five-year-old. And if we're starting to try to tell, teach a lesson to a five-year-old, it wasn't going to work for others. And so um, for me, I, I was reading this week, I ended up being on Facebook, and Jay Glidewell had the exact same experience in Haiti this week. He was asked to lead the gospel story. He said that he failed miserably, and it... it it had a big impact on him. I started reading the comments underneath, and this seems to be a common theme. So it's for me, I came home, and I'm teaching in the, in the LFC right now, and what we taught about this morning was it's important that you have a template, a gospel story template from creation through Jesus, through us, that you can have prepared, a five- to ten-minute template, and, and, you know, it, it can— it's universal to age, race, culture, that you can tell the story. Um, and, and so that, that really made a big impact on me. We did it another time. We did the shoebox uh, giveaway three days later. And the second time, we had learned enough lessons to where it wasn't quite as big of a failure. <laughs> but uh, but that, was, that was a really neat experience. Well, I, I'm glad you told that. I, I wanted them to tell that story. And as we, we uh, hinted at it this morning... Because it reminds me, first of all, I'm going to give the two of you and, and Jay a little bit of a pass. You didn't fail. You got up and you, you, you spoke. And that's, that's, that's what you have to start with. I think all of us know that it's true that the bulk of our Christian communication, the bulk of our gospel Bible communication tends to happen within the body of Christ. That that's what we're most used to. I mean, think about it yourself. Maybe, when is the last time you've had the opportunity to share the gospel, maybe in five or ten minutes, with someone who's not already connected to the church or Christ in some way? I'm talking about it. Maybe you had it just today. Maybe you had it last week. I don't know. But maybe it's been a while. It, those opportunities don't always find us, and we don't always find them because we spend most of our time with our friends, and that's okay. That's encouragement. But when you find yourself in a situation like this, you learn the meaning of being prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you about the hope that you have. And then you have to actually think about it. So it, it, it has to be practiced. It has to be practiced. And I think this is a good encouragement for us because just as they 
found the opportunity to do that in Guyana, we've probably got more opportunities around here than we even know. So, and, and by the way, this is not the one. So, uh, preaching the gospel here for these kids is one, but it's the next assignment that Doreen gave you that would have scared me. Mm-hmm. I mean, Speaking of failing miserably, we were asked to <laughs> lead yeah. a marriage seminar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I might, I might go ahead and agree with you on that one. That, you know, I wasn't there, but I don't um, know. We had. Like you said, we've been married almost 15 years, and the couples that attended the seminar had been married 22 years, 25 years, and we really felt like we could be learning from them instead of us up there trying to muddle through our talk. (laughs) Yeah. So here's your um, your couples, and uh, we met on a Friday night at the church. Yeah. We had several attend, and the discussion ran over. Actually, they have a lot of struggles there. the women were asking us really difficult questions like, well, my husband is abusive and he's not a Christian. Do I still submit to him? And stuff along those lines. So our, we had a really good group discussion about that, but it ran over. And so Narain wanted to extend it, so he pushed for another session on Sunday night. And then he came up with this great idea to, to take everyone out to eat at this wonderful Chinese restaurant, which we figured out that's, they eat Chinese almost all the time. <laughs> we were wondering what the food was going to be like in Guyana. If you like Chinese food, then you'd, you'd love food fried in Guyana. Fried chicken and fried rice. Fried chicken and fried rice. But anyways, this was a really special thing. It was, it was really neat. Um, he, uh, bef- yeah. I only recognize one of these couples. Who are the other three? <laughs> They're just couples from the church. The top left is Paul. Um, and he's, he's a member of the church, and his wife's name Elizabeth. is Elizabeth. And that's Kim and I. This is Marvin and... Alice. Uh, okay. You, you, and Alice, and I can't remember. And, and we can't remember. The, these are the only, this is the only time that we he met them. He went to the bakery and ordered this wedding cake and had sparkling juice, and he wanted us all to reenact our wedding reception cake and punch deal so we all had to take turns kim and i went last and everybody else was very polite and then kim went and it got ugly (laughs) (laughs) nobody got it on video but i got him really good with cake in the face so it kind of livened up the party (laughs) that's me getting back so she went first you can see the little cake remnants on his head So that's how we closed out the marriage seminar. We had a discussion prior to this, and then we all went to eat. So the lesson is, if you're going to fight, there has to be cake. That's right. Something like that. Yeah, that's good. There's, good. There's your marital advice for tonight. <laughs> if you're going to fight, at least have cake. But going along with the Rain's theme of strong family, strong church, he spends lots of hours during the week doing marriage counseling, calling and checking on people, praying with people, and encouraging people to get married. A lot of people there just live together, mm. the common law, and he really encourages them to get married. And, and he spends and as a lot I understand of time it, with that. The dynamic of this event actually did something for these, at least these three other couples, right? That we found that it was interesting because as we all sat around this huge table, none of the couples from the church really interacted with each other. Like I think if a group of us went to a restaurant together, we would be laughing and talking and it was just yeah. everybody was kind of coupled up, and so we think that it was a good yeah. idea for them to go out and fellowship together because I don't think they get many opportunities like that here. We all rode, how many people? There were 20 of us in like a minivan. We were yeah. sitting on laps and stacked on each other. It was safe. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, so it was so, it was togetherness. It was, I mean, it was and I yeah. think it was good for the couples of the church to spend time together good. outside of the assembly. Now, the third uh, item that Noreen had you doing uh, involves the work that this woman's doing, uh, which is it's benevolence and food distribution. Yes. Tell us a little bit about this, what happens. This is, a, this is an ongoing thing that they do down there, right? Right. So we asked Noreen uh, about it. He says that, that he saves up his own funds or he uses his own funds for this, and he buys a lot of food in bulk. Uh, this is Chinese, his, his wife, there's the, there's the bulk food, uh, but this is Chinese, his wife, and, and she's taking this food that was in bulk and, and weighing it all out. I think this is what, four pounds of sugar? That, that's what she's weighing out right then. So it was a, a pretty long process. What do you think we spent, six to eight hours doing it? He didn't want us to do it at all. Also, he wanted, he did not want us to work at all. Everything. He just all, wanted us to eat all week. Yeah. Basically. He Leader, wanted to feed us. Leadership roles and, uh, and feet and eating. That was it. But we wanted to work. We wanted to be a part of this. So, uh, we just we, threw ourselves into this project. We just told them it was happening. Yeah. So we were going to be there at 10 o'clock and, and that was all there was to it. But anyway, so, so we would build these bags. How many bags were there total? Over 40 bags. And they each contained enough food for a large family for a month. Food is very expensive there. The cost of living seems higher there than it is here, and the people there don't nearly make what we make, what we can earn here. And they have a 14% tax added on to everything. Their gas is over $5 a gallon. It's just very expensive to live there. So his quarterly food distribution program really helps out um, some widows in the community and some of the large combined families where multiple family groups are living in a household together. Right. So there's, there's, there's no other resources available for a lot of these families that are it's subsistence at best. Right. Okay. And then the church distributes the food like we see here, right? Correct. This is one of the... Um, he's 18 years old. His dad's a leader in the church, and he came to help out with the distribution. And this was a widow. She had to walk probably a mile. And those bags, after they were filled, were probably... Say 50 pounds. 50 pounds. I don't know how he expected they were, people to get them home. But they, they were so big that we couldn't lift them up by the straps or it would break the sewing, the, uh, the thread, stitching. the stitching that was holding the handles together. So we had to make sure everybody grabbed it from the bottom to carry it. So, but Stefan was, was nice enough to, uh, uh, to bicycle this, this bag of food home. He did several this. trips. He did four or five trips taking And, and did you bags. get the opportunity to deliver to some families? We did we not, did not okay. because we weren't allowed to leave the church compound because it was too dangerous. Understood. Okay. Okay. And uh, is there anything else you want to tell us about? Let's see. This is, there's three things, and we've seen the ministry to children. We've seen the marriage, uh, the marriage seminars, building strong families, strong church, the, uh, the, the distribution of the food. Uh, it's sounding very much like the book of Acts. I mean, it's, and, then, mm-hmm. uh, and then what's our fourth item? Finally, the part that I've been waiting for was uh-huh. the trip to Kuru Karuru. Okay, and here, okay. Now let, let's say it all together. Kuru Karuru. Now that is different than Karuru. Kuru Karuru. There is a Karuru. There's Kuru Karu. Oh, there's Kuru. They Kuru. added a Ru. Right. And then there's <laughs> Kuru Karuru. Right. That's right. And then there's Goo 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 Jube, and, and, and so the uh, that's what I. Can, but yeah, that's one of the things I loved about Guyana. They always have interesting names for places, 
And uh, didn't they have one? The one that I always loved was uh, Bachelor's Adventure. I mean, that, 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 <laughs> there was something like that. What was it called? We, it was, we I were, remember that. We went through Garden of Eden to get here. Garden of Eden. Yeah. So you Land went through a place Canaan. called Garden of Eden. Land of Canaan. Went through there both was of one, cause We used to take a guy with us from Westside who was, he was a bachelor. He was an older fellow. And they always talked about, hey, that's where you need to go is Bachelor's Adventure. You know, and, uh, <laughs> but, yeah, they had all these interesting names. And then they would just give up, and they would call some places like Village 42 or something like that. You know, it's like, I just, you know, it's like 56 Arkansas or something. But this is Kuru Karuru. Now, tell us about Kuru Karuru. What's the significance of it? This village is about an hour away from the Sophia Church. It's about 15 minutes from the airport for the people that have, have been there before. Yeah. Okay. And Narain has friends who live there, and they've come to him and said there's no Church of Christ there. So it's Narain's dream to plant a church here. It's filled with children. We got to visit the school, and then... Um, we, yeah, we had a children's program there, and with just one day's notice, just word of mouth spread, and uh, we had over 120 kids there the next day. Wow. So Josh got to practice his gospel presentation again, <laughs> and we got to do another shoebox giveaway. Most of the time, people do Operation Shoebox as like a Christmas time event, but Narain does a little bit different, and he gives away the shoeboxes as a representation of the free gift of salvation we have. So that's how he does it, a little bit differently. Yeah, and this this Kuru Kururu story is. I mean, we're now we're talking about the uh, just dreams and just brainstorming at this point. There's no definite plans. We don't know. We just know that there's this place and there's a need. Uh, you did notice and you documented some of the needs. What are some of the needs there? When we arrived, we scouted the location of the possible church plant, the street, and everything that the properties for sale on and met with some of the neighbors there who were very excited about the possibility of a church coming to their neighborhood. We also met with the headmaster at the primary school. He was a Pentecostal preacher, but he was still encouraging in the fact that another church wanted to come to their community. He told us programs that would be beneficial to their area would be after-school tutoring programs, especially in reading and computer skills to their kids, as well as um, they have a 39% uh, rate of kids who have effects of fetal alcohol syndrome. And so he said they can learn, 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 and then they get to fourth or fifth grade and just kind of plateau where they can't go any further in their education. And he he thinks it would be really good to have vocational training for them where if they aren't book smart, maybe they could learn plumbing or a trade um, so they could and that, that's about 40% of the kids that, that, 40%. that suffer from that. Okay. So in our dreaming and wanting to help that community, I would think some kind of family planning, prenatal education, and vitamins yeah. and all that would be very helpful for their community. And, and right now at this point, what you're asking for is, and I don't want to answer for you, but tell me, you let me know if I get this right. In our conversations, it sounds like what you're looking for is wisdom, input, advice. I mean, this is just something we all need to talk about, but most importantly, pray, because God's got the plan, and he'll deliver the people who will. So you're open to this discussion. You want folks to approach you and talk about it, right? Yes, we're definitely doing a lot of praying. We 
um, after Josh's, uh, what, not fit, he didn't throw a fit about going to Guyana, but he didn't want to go, basically. He had just got back Where's from... Where's the cake? We need cake. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was going to support Kim whenever yeah. I went. He didn't want to go, and a few weeks before we even left for Guyana, he's like, I can't go. There's no way I can go. He owns yeah. his own business. Things weren't yeah. working out well, and he's like, you're going to have to call Sandy Berger Meg, see who can go with you, because I can't go. <laughs> I was like, oh, your ticket's non-refundable. You have to go. <laughs> and yeah. God worked everything out. Right. Josh got on the plane. He left um, and ended up, he left his heart in Kuru Kururu with me. We both okay. feel very strongly about Yeah, tell this me your view on Kuru Kururu. What do you see there? Okay, Kuru Kururu was a, uh, it was a strange experience for me. When you go to a land far, far away like this, um, you, you really don't know what to expect. So I'm going to this place thinking that we're going to a village out in the Amazon that has no Church of Christ in that village. And so when I go there and I figure out it's like suburbia, Guyana, then it's, it's still odd because I'm still seeing churches around. They're Catholic churches and things like that. And then we get to the school, and the school is essentially a Christian school. They pray uh, three times a day before school, during lunch, after school. All three prayers have Christ in the prayer. And so it went from me thinking that there's no church in this village to understand that Narain is saying there's no church of Christ in this village. And I can understand it way more whenever, whenever we got to that point. So then I had to kind of flip it to really question, does there need to be a church planted there? And so when we were asking this headmaster the things that were needed um, and he started talking about 30 to 40 percent of the women having the, the prenatal alcohol syn- fetal alcohol syndrome and, and the problems that he has with these children in the school just not being able to learn um, and to, to see the family dynamics it, just in the short period of time that we were there. It did feel like there was a sense of darkness that there, there needed to be more light there. There needed to be more leadership in that area. And so. Those were the things that really stuck to me. It seemed like uh, if a church was planted in this area, then uh, Jesus' presence in this area would do a lot of good. So even the headmaster of this Christian school is saying, we need disciples of Jesus changing. And, And that's a little different than what you saw in Sophia where there might be that. I mean, they're definitely, I mean, we see these pictures of these people who are going out and delivering food to the needy. We see these couples who are setting a better example. They're modeling faith like we talked about this morning. But in Kuru Kururu, there's an absence of that, right? We talked to some of the kids that were on this corner, and both of them said they had to walk for uh, over an hour to get to church. Huh. So the church that they go to, the church right. that they attend right now. Right. So hearing things like that, But again, I'm torn because I'm giving the gospel presentation and I'm going through it. And these and I'm I figured out after the first one, you need to interact more. Well, I'm interacting with these kids and boy, they're on the ball. They know every answer. They know Noah. They know the the rainbow story. I mean, they they know it all. And so, you know, I've been really torn about this, but it's 
I get, did, did they, I, I hear what you're saying. I love it. It's like they know that they've heard the stories. They've got the knowledge. They've got it here. But have they seen people who live out the gospel? Right. That's, right. that's what you're saying. Right. They're not seeing. They're not seeing the adults who actually live by these stories and, and exactly. live with God's presence. It's like what, is, exactly yeah. like what you're talking about this morning. Someone modeling yes. uh, the way to live their life. You've heard it. Now see it lived out in that way. See, and this is why I say this stuff encourages us as well. Uh, this is the kind of stuff that I think if you, you know, again, there's an expanding growth here that, you know, I've enjoyed talking to Josh and Kim about this, and Lord willing, we're going to talk some more about it. But I want to encourage you, approach this couple. They're very approachable. Tell them, hey, I'd like to hear more about this. I'd like to know more about this. How can I encourage you? How can we encourage the, the Christians in Guyana? I want to encourage you to, to just open yourself up and have these kind of conversations with them. Um, last question I've got for both of you is, is what did you take away from this trip uh, and what were you encouraged by? And I think that takes us to Josh. What was your takeaway? And maybe you kind of entered into that a little bit. Okay. Uh, this is my sixth trip um, out of the country. And this is the first trip that I've been on where I wasn't with a with a group or I went to Asia with Jerry, but Jerry was the leader. I followed Jerry everywhere he went. I took um, advice from Jerry everywhere we went. Carried Jerry's bag. Anything I could do for Jerry, that's, that's what was done. And that's the way it needed to be. Uh, but on this trip, I took more of a leadership role. And it was... Uh, there was a lot of spiritual growth for me in this. It was extremely humbling, I'll tell you that much. Uh, they look at Americans, they put you up on a pedestal, that's for sure. They listen to you differently than they listen to each other. What? What about the food? Okay, yes. Yeah. So he knew that Kim and I were coming for about a month in this advance. This is Narain, right? Yes, Narain knew that Kim and I were coming for about a, several months in advance. And we, we kept asking him about funding because we, when we started figuring out how much everything costs there, uh, we just couldn't wrap our heads around how he's living off this little amount. And he starts telling us that whenever he, uh, he's planning on groups coming, then um, he skips meals. They just don't eat as much as they usually do. Uh, so there's a lot of sacrifice that goes along, that went along with just us two coming and visiting him. That we, you know, we had no idea that, that anything like that was, was going on. But that, it was a very humbling experience for me. And uh, this is the first time I was able to preach as well. Uh, and it was such a privilege and to go back through all of my time in my life that uh, I've taught class or just been a, in, in spiritual conversations. And, and the funny thing is, is I kind of had a sermon ready. And the night before, he said, hey, our theme is strong family, strong church. So you're going to preach on that. Oh. <laughs> so, Surprise. So I had to just. You, you haven't learned how to turn it around to what you were going to preach anyway yet. That's what. This is a great theme. It reminds me of this. And that's, that's how you. Yeah. So, but anyways, it turned out great. Uh, and, and the other thing is I got to spend 10 days with my wife. Uh, Oh. On a on a spiritual <laughs> journey like this, and and so it was, it was a great experience. Uh, 
being able to go through this uh, with her. And I think we grew as a couple, and um, we grew spiritually together. So both of those things were the, the two things that I got. Kim, what's your takeaway? This is uh, the church that they meet, the church building where they meet. And this Narain's, is in Sophia? Correct. Okay. Narain's house is behind that. So you can see it's all fenced in. It's got razor wire all around the top of the church building. And if you flip to the next one, this is across the street from the church. He calls them illegal shanties. I guess they're really not supposed to be there, mm. little pop-up houses and canals and water and mosquitoes everywhere. This just really made me think. Sometimes I get lazy and tired, and I'm like, I don't want to go to church. I want to skip. I just want to stay in bed or stay home or whatever. These people are so faithful in their attendance they walk a mile or more down these roads, through these canals. There's high crime in this area. And we come to church with our Starbucks and our air-conditioned car and act like it's a big deal. I mean, these people have three and four kids, and they're having to walk through potholes and mud and dirt and in the dark and through dangerous places. And it just really encouraged me to how blessed we are and how... They're so faithful, and it's such a struggle for them, and it's so easy for us just to hop in, and um, that really made me think that the next story is my favorite from the whole trip. This is Brother Trevor Emanuel. We met him the first night we were there at the marriage seminar. Okay. And he and his wife don't have a vehicle. They live very far away from the church. So as our driver was driving us to our hotel, we dropped them off first. So in the van, we got to talking, and he said, Do you know Dr. Mitchell from Arkansas? I said, Dr. Mitchell. Yeah, Dr. Michael, right? Dr. Michael. And so we started describing Dr. Mitchell and Dr. Michael, and it wasn't quite adding up and not the same Because you were thinking he was talking about Michael Cole. Yeah, there's a little bit of a language difference. It's English, but it's really Caribbean and Creole mixed together, and so it's still tricky to understand, and we're still trying to figure it out a little bit. And so I was like, oh, yeah, Dr. Michael, that's who he's talking about. But that didn't add up. He said he was a dentist. He worked on my mouth. He saved my life. And so I'm like, Dr. Mitchell? Mitch Harper? Could it be Dr. Harper? And he was like, oh, yeah, that was sounding like it could be him. It is hard to tell Mitch Harper and Michael Cole. It is. They, I mean, they're so similar. They're very similar. <laughs> but um, I wanted to find Dr. Mitchell, so I got on Facebook when we got back to our hotel and had Wi-Fi, and I contacted Robin, and I said, is this Dr. Mitchell in 98? Did he save a man's life who was very sick? And she responded and said that was Dr. Mitchell Harper, yeah. that in 98... And, and some of you who were there recognize Trevor, right? You do. You, you recognize it from 1998, but Trevor he, showed up at the clinic and... He was very, very bad off. He'd had a tooth pulled prior to the arrival of the medical mission team, and it got infected and was abscessed, and um, he had gone septic, and he was very, very sick. He said it looked like he had a volleyball on the side of his face. It was so swollen, and people were scared of him, and he said he had a very bad odor coming out, and uh, the kids were scared of him, and people wouldn't want to ride on buses with him, and he was so sick. And so he visited the medical mission team, and Dr. Harper and um, Dr. Donovan, I believe, worked on him, and uh, they 
had to open him up, I guess, and do surgery and clean out that abscess. And then he came back every day of the rest of the week for IV antibiotics. And so Robin verified all this through a, a Facebook message and said that it was Mitch. And um, Trevor was very bad off. He probably would not have lived very long had they not have worked on him. Okay. And so we got to church Sunday, and I showed him that message, and he broke down. He was just weeping. He said, God sent you here so I could tell Dr. Mitchell, thank you. And, 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 that, and that's uncommon for the Guyanese to weep openly like that. Is that, yeah. is that right? Yeah. Uh, that, that kind of display of emotion is not common. He, he knew how sick he was, and he knew he wouldn't have made it. And just seeing that in the message, I think, really touched his heart. And he said that, you know, he had uh, Dr. Harper's contact in a book. He always meant to write him, and that book got lost in a flood. And he, every American or missionary that came to Guyana, he would ask them, do you know Dr. Mitchell from Arkansas? Do you know Dr. Mitchell from Arkansas? And he said, finally, Kim and Josh know Dr. Mitchell from Arkansas. And I'm able to tell him thank you. So he sat down as soon as church service was over, and he wrote a handwritten, a two-page letter that we were supposed to bring back to Dr. Harper. And I also got this little video clip. Yeah, uh, if uh, Daryl's going to switch us over this video, you won't be able to hear him very well, but we have subtitles. Here we go. My name is Trevor Emmanuel. There's some past experience that I don't even like to remember, but I have to remember it now. There was this dentist from Arkansas. Dr. Mitch Harper and Steam in nineteen eighty eight. God sent them to save my life. And I had always wanted to reach back Dr. Hart. But God has sent Kim and her husband. And now I can able to have in contact with him once again. However, I never had the opportunity to tell me thanks. Now, I will say thanks very much on behalf of myself and my family for being so kind-hearted to me. And now I can able to preach your word. Without you doing that wonderful job, So I just thought that was so amazing how the work that you guys did and all your medical missions and in 98 are still affecting people there today. Trevor is now a leader in the church. He teaches the youth classes, and he has five grown sons that he's raised in the church as well. We're just going to leave it at that. Now think about that. I mean, what there, you, you just heard a video message from a man that if we didn't have some of our people go on a trip down there, a couple of our dentists, as he said, he would have been a goner. But now the life that he's had over the last 20 years he has spent that modeling the faith in Christ and modeling service in the name of Christ. 
and that work multiplies out. Each and every one of us, God has something that we can do in our life. And I think uh, I want to thank Josh and Kim for reminding of this and, uh, and for letting God work in your life in such a way. So thank you for sharing this good news with us tonight. Um, we're going we're gonna, to uh, wrap it up here, and uh, we're going to sing this song together. If there's any chance that we have or any need that we can encourage you with, we want to do that. Communion's been prepared in room 100. And so we'll sing this song, and then Russ McConnell will send us out with a word of prayer. And-